keep peace. Hello, everyone, and uh, thank you for joining Wag the Dog FM again, your weekly podcast around public relations, communications, social media, and everything in between. Um, this week, uh, we'll be focusing on social media and Twitter. Now, you might hear my voice is not what it used to be, so I'm sounding a bit like Barry White, at least in my own ears, which is not a terrible thing, but it's not really good for a podcast, so I'll, I'll keep this introduction very short. Uh, but this week I'm talking with Emma Pearson. She's studying statistics at Oxford, um, and uh, she is then uh, beginning a PhD in computer sciences at Stanford. So, pretty intelligent lady, uh, and we had a talk about her research and analysis of Twitter. Now... The whole point here is to look at really what's happening with Twitter on big announcements, for instance. Uh, what she discovered is that it's not really true that everybody has the same voice or the same power on Twitter. We would think that, we would love to think that, but not all voices are equal online, specifically not on Twitter. And Emma uh, Pearson did the research with different uh, announcements, important announcements in the news, and then looked at how Peter, people uh, reacted. Um, so we'll be talking about powerful people on Twitter. We'll talk about online echo chambers. Uh, all these very interesting things and uh, I hope you enjoy it so uh, here we go okay Emma hi how are you I'm good thank good. you for having me on no great for yeah. taking the time to be on the wag the dog FM um, I saw your article on the analysis that you do and uh, I love the title Twitter data shows that a few powerful users can control the conversation and my audience loves to think that they can control the conversation. We, in PR, we do that. Uh, mm -hmm. And then, of course, social media happened, and then we were not so sure if we could control the conversation. But now here you are telling us that, based on your research, it is still possible that a couple of powerful Twitter users can control a conversation. Yes. I mean, people have this idea on Twitter that everyone has a voice, that, you know, I can say something and it can get picked up and go viral. And of course, that is in theory possible and does sometimes happen. But in practice, most of what is said is sort of influenced by people with, with many followers, with you know more than 10,000 followers. And is it really about the number of followers? Does that make me powerful on Twitter or are there other, uh, any other aspects? Well, I, yeah. So, so I think having a lot of followers is one important factor. Um, previous research has shown, though, that there are other factors that matters, uh, matter as well. And in any given conversation, it may not be that the person with the most followers gets the most retweets. Mm -hmm. So another important measure of influence might be how many people are retweeting what you're saying. And perhaps... You know, if there's some breaking news event, the reporter on the ground might not have that many followers, but is getting a lot of retweets because their voice is particularly relevant to that conversation. Yeah. Now, when you say some people are more powerful or have more influence on Twitter, what is more? Is it is it a big amount? Is it really the the influentials? Uh, how how do you measure that? Well, what, what I did was I, I looked at like about 10 different news events um, and I looked at for each news event, um, how often are people retweeting when they're talking about the news event and when they are retweeting, who are they retweeting from? And what I found is that 
for many of these news events, most of the retweets were coming from people with more than 10,000 followers. And sometimes that was extremely dramatic. So like I looked at um, some of o uh, President Obama's speeches in America and, and how lines from the speeches were shared. And what I found is that for some of the lines, almost every time the line was shared on Twitter, it was directly from Obama's account. So mm -hmm. Obama's account, which had more than 50 million followers, was sort of by itself dominating the conversation. Yeah, and then I, I, I would imagine that that is Obama's PR team, social media team, uh, going through the motions as we should do, uh, would do in, in, the, in the private sector. But of course, not everyone has that many followers, of course, on uh, yes. Twitter. Yeah, 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 yeah. So and yeah. but so how did you so you looked at for uh, that was the Obama speech uh, about on the uh, anniversary of the the Selma march right is that correct yes yeah and also also his state of the union speech ah, showed yeah. similar patterns yeah that must be, have been an interesting one as well because that's very that's very much political with with the Selma speech i would think there's a certain you know context of history and all these things and uh, uh, commemoration kind of thing but with the state of the union that's really a positioning moment right yes yeah, that's definitely true. And I there there were pronounced differences in how sort of liberals and conservatives reacted to the State of the Union speech. Um, one thing I found with both speeches is that most people resharing, there were a lot more liberal people resharing stuff than, than conservative people, as you would expect, because Obama is much more popular among liberals. Mm -hmm. Do you see that? Because in, in the US, for us Europeans, I mean, in Europe, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm calling you from Belgium, we have like a zillion political parties which go from extreme right to extreme left and in the middle we've got all these other parties. So we're very much into uh, a, a rather complicated uh, political environment where, as in the US, let's face it, you've got Republicans, Democrats and something in the middle which is not really... So uh, do you see those differences that clearly in... in, in can you make that match and, and compare like the one political side is, is acting differently or has more power on certain moments on Twitter? Is that that very much clear? Uh, I think one, one thing which is certainly pronounced is that the t often the two sides are not talking to each other all that much. So you'll see this in coverage of controversial news events like the Ferguson uh, sort of protests. Yeah. Yeah. I, one, one thing I found is that sort of liberal tweeters were speaking about the protests in one way, which was much more sympathetic to the protesters, and conservative tweeters were speaking about the protests in a very different way, which was much more sympathetic to the police. Um, and there was not a lot of conversation between the two groups. So certainly the American political divide is often quite pronounced on Twitter. Mm -hmm. yes. But even on, on, a, on, on a, well, maybe it is political, but let's say what happened in Ferguson, which is maybe not directly linked to a political party anyway, so you do see that they don't talk to each other. There is no, or there is a limited overlap of, of tweets between one side and the other side. Yes. Yeah, so I, I found there was not there was not a lot of communication between the two sides. Um, oftentimes, when there was communication, it was it was quite hostile. And the other thing I found is just like the the way the way the two sides were talking was very different like they they just had very different views of the issue and i think that was exacerbated by the fact that they weren't really communicating with each other yeah so yeah. It, it 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 is a, a continuation of what you could expect from offline communications or offline life which is yeah. then reflected online 
Well, I think I think that's a very interesting question. Like, has has this problem of echo chambers been getting worse as a consequence of the way we interact online? And I think that's a difficult question to answer. But but certainly, I think part of it is just these offline forces, like people's connections, their social connections, tend to be with those who have similar political views. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, can you explain a bit about because I mean I've read your research and 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 we've been emailing. And, uh, but, but can you just explain a bit what you mean with the echo chamber effect? Yeah, the, the echo chamber effect is just people with different views on an issue do not communicate with each other um, and, and read different news sources and get different facts and opinions about an issue. And that sort of becomes polarizing because you're, you know, maybe conservatives are only hearing from Fox News, say, a conservative news source. And maybe liberals are only listening to like the New York Times, which is much more liberal, and they're getting different facts on an issue. They're not talking to each mm-hmm. other. And that exacerbates political polarization. Yeah. So you stay in that, you hear that same effect again and again, which is then the, the, the imagery of an echo chamber where you stay in the same uh, messaging, as we would say in, in uh, PR. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Yes. Do yes. you see a difference? Because I would, I would imagine, and I've, I'm one of those very naive people who in the early uh, days of social media was thinking, and I still believe it somewhere that, you know, social media was going to change how we think about each other, was going to build bridges um, among different and very disparate uh, people. Mm-hmm. Now you're telling me on Twitter it's not the case. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, I it, it's, it's certainly, I mean, certainly, certainly it's not perfect, but, but I, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily worse. I think I think that's a much more difficult question to answer. Mm-hmm. Um, some so scientists at Facebook recent like just published a study where they sort of looked at like what were the forces producing this political polarization, and and one thing they found that was very pronounced is just you tend to be friends with people on the same side of the political spectrum, and like that's probably not really created by Facebook, right? That's a reflection of offline forces. That's not society. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, also, I mean, I think we've had the experience on Facebook where you are exposed to political views, which are very different from a random friend that you don't know very well. And, and, you know, that can bring you out of your bubble. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's what I was thinking about because we have uh, here in Belgium had a shift in, in the political um, environment as well, a pretty serious shift. And I do see that, uh, but then again, on Facebook, because I do think there are differences between the different social media channels. Mm-hmm. in how we behave and, and, and communicate. But uh, on uh, on Facebook, I must say, since the, the, the elections here, uh, I have been exposed much more to different views of different political sides and, and maybe engaged a bit more as well. Um, and, you know, does that make me change my mind? No, but it did give me an insight in how other people think who have a totally different background in politics, totally different... ID or position on certain aspects in society. And uh, it, it did open up my eyes a bit, uh, at least to try to start understand why some people have certain ideas about certain topics. Yeah, You don't think you would have been exposed to that had it not been for these social networks? Well, it, the, the thing is, um, less, and again, that's a very personal feeling, but less and less, um, at least in, in where I come from, my environment, uh, it is less and less done so to talk about politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, like at the pub, yeah, we would talk politics, but we really be careful what we're saying. Mm-hmm. Not saying it's you know it's not 
it's not you know now the environment and what have you but 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 there there is there is this feeling of it is becoming much more personal and you keep it to yourself kind of idea which i think is totally wrong mm-hmm. uh, and then again there is and again very personal not based on on research but online you tend to be a bit more free and although my facebook account is you know you know it's me <laughs> mm-hmm. uh but but maybe i'm a bit more direct maybe i i would comment on something where in public i wouldn't do so and i do think uh there are differences in those things yeah yeah that's very interesting yeah cuz that <laughs> see i would say the opposite is true mm-hmm. for me in fact that i would be more careful speaking online than i would be in person um I mean, I, I, one thing which is troubling to me about these social networks is I think conversations on them are not always productive. Like on Twitter, for example, it's hard to make a sophisticated argument in 140 characters. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And you, you also have the threat that sort of you say something stupid and then it goes viral. Mm-hmm. Um, or many people pile in on the discussion. And if you were at a pub, you know, maybe you could have like a personal conversation with someone where they would be more sincere and, and be willing to admit when they were wrong. And people are less willing to do that on Twitter. Yeah. I haven't I haven't studied this mathematically. That's just my intuition. No, and and I understand. I would completely agree as well on on what you're saying that uh, some people will not use those social media channels to express themselves because for all the reasons that you you just said, we do have I think um, a different uh, maybe we're less we're less careful with what we do online. Mm-hmm. We still don't have this. Uh, this idea of oh it, you know this could be really be negative <laughs> uh, <laughs> kind of thing if it goes around because I still see some things that I go like oh my god you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> why is this online but anyway um, yeah I think there are differences what would be interesting though is that um, I think from the from the the analysis that you've done uh, maybe have a look at how Europe fits in there because I do think it's a different environment so that would be really interesting yeah. that is interesting yeah mm. yeah yeah. Mm. You'll definitely have to listen to my uh, one of the uh, the future podcasts where we look at the uh, the social media impact of um, of journalists from uh, Politico, a very much U.S. based organization, coming into Brussels and and shaking things around. Yeah, uh, that will be an interesting one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, what what are the things that you see as? Uh, uh, are there any kind of very specific traits again of? influential people on Twitter and or on Facebook do you see is it again is it it's not just about numbers of course it's about the is it also about the perceived authority that they have oh that's an interesting yeah I I think uh, yes I mean I su- I suspect like like for example there are some cases where ordinary people gain a great deal of authority because they're on the ground so for example during during the Ferguson protests um, you would see sort of ordinary people who happened to be in Ferguson who all of a sudden were getting tons of retweets because mm-hmm. they had a lot of credibility. Um, yeah. And is that, that was then, it, so this was just by being, or just by being uh, on the site documenting what was happening. Yeah. Uh, stuff like that. So, you know, you had journalists who were, who were just like tweeting pictures of what was going on and, and those would get retweets. Um, you also had people who were sort of organizing the protests who would see like their followers increase by like a factor of 10 over the course of several months because people recognized that like these were ordinary people, but they had something to say. And they went from being people with like maybe, you know, a thousand Twitter followers to like 50,000 Twitter followers. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying in this context and this example, it does make a difference on, first of all, how close you are to the event, whatever the event would be. 
um, and also about the, the the kind of content that you're tweeting. In this case, with Twitter or the, the content that you're sharing. Let's not fix fixate ourselves on Twitter or anything else. But so it it has to do about your location to the event in relation to the event and the kind of content that you are sharing. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't like mathematically studied how people's influence increases um, over time, but but just from these anecdotal mm-hmm. examples, that is that is what I've seen. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens during a crisis, definitely, when, you know, people who are there on the ground. For me, uh, the big Twitter example was uh, with the Mumbai uh, terrorist attacks in that hotel. And that was like years ago, mm-hmm. where the, the traditional media had it completely wrong and where the only single source or couple of sources that you could really trust if you really were interested in what was going on was through... Twitter accounts of people who were in the building mm-hmm. right there and then. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I do think that the location where you are in relation to an event uh, is an important one. And, and that is, in fact, something that we know about offline communications as well. In traditional media, the stories who are the closest, who are the closest to you are the most interesting are you know getting the most interaction are getting the most views and all these kind of things because that's yeah. just approximation yeah bring uh, close to the event okay yeah um anything else so you've done on uh, a couple of things on facebook twitter are there any do you see differences between because i'm convinced that there are differences in the way that people use it but what do you see based on research between let's say uh, you know twitter and facebook you know i it, what, i've done most of my research on twitter not on facebook mm-hmm. because um Basically, Twitter is easier to study because it's entirely public, whereas Facebook, you often yeah. need the user's permission to get their data. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I do. I, I have seen other studies of, of Twitter and Facebook, for example, that like compare the type of content that people share. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you followed like the ice bucket challenge. Well, <laughs> you couldn't really. <laughs> right, not, you couldn't not, really not, avoid, yeah, avoid yeah, following yeah. it. Yeah. But people had a theory that like, uh, sort of more positive content was shared on Facebook. Um, stuff, you know, sort of happy videos of people dumping mm-hmm. dumping water on themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know whether that's true or not, but um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Where where Twitter would be? I mean, I'm using Twitter, and most of us in the industry are using Twitter for as as a news channel. Right. Uh, right, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think at the time people were saying there was more as I, I could be remembering this wrong, but I think this is right. Uh, pe- there was more discussion of sort of what was going on in Ferguson, which was obviously a much more negative thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. What, what are a couple of things that you think based on your different analysis, because you're doing a lot of those things, right? I mean, I see on your blog, I mean, you have like really different topics that you analyze <laughs> through Twitter, which is really, I mean, some of them are really funny as well. <laughs> yeah. But what, what, is, what are a couple of things that if, if, if PR people like me would come to you because you're doing analysis, um, what would be the kind of things that you would tell us? Like, you know, these are the things I've learned and in, in corporate communications or from, a, from an online communications point of view, these are really important facts. Don't forget. Don't you know? Understand that. Uh, I okay. Um, well, yeah. I think I think one would be that like, it, are, you, are you familiar with the concept of the long tail? Yes, and most of the audience would be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the twi- Twitter distributions have a very long tail. Like the you know people like the top one percent of people in terms of followers will account for like a lot of the discussion. So. 
in terms of like how widely a tweet gets shared, um, you know, getting getting a few powerful accounts to share it can play an enormous role um, um, in how far it is shared. Um, and the extent to which that is true varies by the type of event. So like for some events, um, like Obama's speeches, it was extremely true. Um, for events where people are more engaged, like for example, the US-Belgium soccer match, um, it's a little less true. And I think it's less true because people are paying more attention to what's going on. Um, so that's, that's one thing that like, uh, this idea that like Twitter is a democracy where everyone has an equal voice. That's just not, that's not really the case. Um, and, and powerful users dominate. Now, Emma, I'm, I'm going to stop you there because you said you gave a very important, of course, example, which was the incredibly, uh, you know, interesting and beautiful football match between the US and Belgium. Yes. So let's go back to that. Beautiful moment, beautiful football as well. <laughs> Well, um, it's not a beautiful moment, as I recall. Well, you know, it depends on which side of it. Depends on which side you in, in my memory, it was a very beautiful moment. <laughs> <laughs> But so, so what, what? What? How was that different that you said with the um, with the speech of Obama? There um, was less engagement, or because people were paying attention, were were so much into the the football match, or uh, well, yeah. So okay, so so what what we know. Um, This is not my research, but, but what we know is is uh, a lot of people were paying attention to the U.S.-Belgium soccer game. Uh, not so many people were paying attention to Obama's State of the Union speech. Okay. Um, and and on Twitter, the difference that I saw um, was that when there there were more people were more inclined to write original posts about the the football game uh, than than they were about Obama's speech. And I think one reason this might be. Um, is that when you're actually paying attention to the game and you're actually, you know, watching it, then you're more inclined to write a, an original post. So could we say that if, when you are involving the audience, there yes. will be much more original content than just, oh, I'll just retweet, retweet copy-paste, boom, copy-paste, boom. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that, would be my, that would be my hypothesis, that like in, in news events that people are actually engaged in, they're more inclined to generate original content. Yeah, yeah. Um, Now, so so we have, you know, the important fact of um, trying to get some of those very influential people in in your in your communication plan, so to call it, and then also I think the fact of engaging um, your audience, so making them part of the whole exercise, where they would then, of course, create much more personal and new content than just retweet, retweeting your stuff. So those are two. Uh, big things that people in PR and on online communications would uh, would could use as a takeaway, right? Yeah, I, I think those are those are true based on what I've seen. So, um, from the studies that you've done uh, on Twitter, then mainly, are you seeing differences in the kind of content that gets tweeted, retweeted? type of content? I mean, like we know, or at least from marketing studies, we understand that uh, tweets with images go further or have a, more, a bigger chance to, but is that something that you see as well? Or have you looked at that? You know, it's not, it's not really something I've looked at, like how to write a tweet, which is, which mm. goes viral, which is widely shared. It's, a, it, I'd be interested in looking at that. Mm. My understanding is that it, it's reasonably hard to predict, right? Whether something will go viral, because if it weren't, people would just be like always writing viral tweets. 
Yeah, I think I mean viral is is one of those catchy words that consultants will will uh, you know, <laughs> use a lot. No, I think the research and and, and experience shows that the the biggest viral clips from a from a commercial point of view, uh, right? From a commercial point of view, have been you know so prepped, so worked at, so tested before they went viral. It's nothing spontaneous. Interesting. Um, it it is there is a there is a formula, and then there is fifty percent of chance. But it's not. It's most of the time. It's not something. Again, I'm talking about commercial messages, video clips, mm-hmm. whatever you. But there is a formula to it, and then it's fifty percent of chance. You cannot program those things, and it's definitely not just something that happens just like that. There is a whole machine behind that. Just like I would say the, uh, and that is something that I'm studying. But the 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 the. The revolt in Egypt, uh, where you know, a couple of years ago, were not just some, something spontaneous. Those things were prepared, had been trained uh, in the use of social media for nonviolent revolutions and all these kind of things. So people do think that viral and all those things happen spontaneously because it's social, which is a nice word. But no, most of these things are prepared and well done. Mm-hmm. Um, no, definitely. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm just going through your uh, research. You 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 really take different uh, topics, right? I mean, it's uh, sometimes it's political. Then you're talking about uh, differences between men and women online. And uh, so, how where does that come from? Uh, which like how do I generate my topics? Is yeah, it? where where how do you, well, well if you're doing research and one of those things is whether you're crazy depends on whether you're a female. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm going like where do you get that idea? <laughs> Oh, that was well. I mean, I, uh, I I'm very interested in gender, mm-hmm. um, and and I study it a lot online. And the reason is because um, first of all, men and women are different, so it reliably produces interesting results. But also because um, oftentimes you can figure out someone's gender from their online profile, whereas you can't figure out other interesting things like how wealthy they are or what their race is or, mm-hmm. or what have you. Right? You can often figure out their gender from their name. And. Do we behave differently online? So, do men and women behave yeah. differently online? Yes, <laughs> yes, they, <laughs> certainly, they they certainly do. I mean, I've studied it in the context of online dating. How do men and women behave differently? Um, I've studied it in terms of how how often they comment online. So, one one thing I found is like. Uh, if you look at the comments on on uh, the New York Times, men make like three times as many comments as women do. So, I was looking into why that was true. But why why would why would that's an interesting one because, so what, men are more engaged online? Well, no, see, that's the thing. It's not always true, right? Like on, on websites like uh, like Instagram or Facebook or, or even I think Twitter, uh, women might constitute the majority of users. I believe they do on all of those forums. Um, but but on other forums like uh, like Reddit, for example, is majority men. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but also on the New York Times are, are male-dominated. Um, I think the reason the New York Times is male dominated is is because you kind of you have to offer an opinion, you have to make an argument, um, and in America at least, and I think in other countries as well, women are sort of socialized from a young age to not be as assertive in argument as men are. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah. So, uh, but but no, I would not say men in general dominate online. I think it depends a lot on what kind of website you're looking at. You see, but that's uh, that again proves a point which which I haven't done any scientific research, but I have been around in the online PR 
uh, area for a long time. And it, it there is no such thing as a social medium. They are all different. Right. Uh, they have a different, as you said. I mean, Pinterest is eighty percent women. Uh, Reddit is probably, as you said, male dominated. So every channel, every social or news channel, like you said, I mean, you know, this is online newspapers having an online channel, um, are different, and the backgrounds will be different, the topics will be different, um, and um, it does prove my point because I've had discussions with a lot of my colleagues in the PR field who still believe that social media is just another medium or are just other media, uh, and they are not just other. They they have their own kind of background they've got their own way of working they've yes. got their own style of communications yes. uh, and they've got their own audience definitely yeah yeah and i think it's very important to be mind, mindful of that um i suspect also i mean they they may even be different in terms of like when do people post like how how does something be, become popularly shared mm-hmm. i suspect that also might differ by 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 medium yeah so i think it's very important to be mindful of your audience and the nature of your medium and not to treat them as homogenous no right. and it's true i mean as you said uh, it really depends on uh, which uh, social media channel that you you're focusing your attention on because there are times that certain types of twitter updates or facebook updates work better if you have a plan if you have a communications plan Again, that is based on a lot of research on, you know, from mostly from the marketing field, which is, by the way, something that we PR people need to put much more research in instead of always, <laughs> you know, listening to our marketing colleagues. Really? Uh, we should do our own research, I think. But, um, but, but it is true. And every channel is different. And the engagement rate and the times when you engage are different. Uh, the topics which fly or don't fly, as we say, are different. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Is there anything else, uh, Emma, just maybe as a, as a last closing down question, is there anything else that from your research now uh, on Twitter or other channels, you would think that a, a corporate comms person or a PR person would would, would find benefits that you said, well, we, we've seen, I mean, difference between when women, men and women, uh, the channels are important, uh, the authority of a person or your network as well. So are any other things that you said, this is something that really pops out of the research? Oh, I guess, I guess, yeah, just the echo chamber phenomenon yeah. is important to be mindful of. Um, yeah. And, you know, because, because, you know, a message may not propagate outside of a social network because people will just ignore it outside. Um, and that's important to be mindful of. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, great stuff. Emma, this was uh, an interesting one. I, I hope we can stay in touch because you're doing so much research and, and some of those things need to come back. So let's say that in six months, we'll uh, look again at a couple of your things that you've researched and discuss them again, because I think it's it's something that we do miss. Most of the time in corporate comms, we go with a, a gut feeling. <laughs> and th- those times are over. We really need to get into big data and analysis and, and things like you do. So uh, I found this very, very interesting. Okay, well, thanks for thanks for chatting with me, and I'll I'll follow the podcast. Yeah, well, thanks for for your time, and uh, do follow the podcast. Any show notes, research reports, links, I'll put those on the uh, on the show notes on the blog page, so people can uh, check out your research. Okay, great. I'll I'll send you like a yeah summary. Okay, great. Thank you for being on the show. All right, have a nice night. So there you have it. Not all voices are equal on Twitter. I hope you found this an interesting one. The uh, podcast here with Emma. I like it when people like that do research, uh, put their time in, and then share their results. Again, uh, very insightful from Emma and uh, a great podcast, I think. 
So next week we'll have uh, Simon McDermott on the show. Uh, Simon is doing research uh, online, uh, social media research and analysis, and uh, he'll be talking about the social media footprint of the Politico reporters in Brussels. So if you're interested in the Brussels bubble and what Politico means and uh, how these people are shaking or not shaking up things, then please tune in next Monday. For the show notes, there is only one address. It's www.wagthedog.fm. And if you like the show again, and I repeat that every week, please, you know, just go to iTunes, look up Wag the Dog, and give a, give a review. Give a, whatever you think of the show, a review is important, and it really matters for the future of this show. So if you have two minutes, it only takes two minutes, Go to iTunes, look for Wag the Dog. I've got direct links on the shows as well on the website. Uh, click on it and, and give a review, please. It is very important. That makes the show go up in the rankings uh, and other people then discover the show. And it's really a, a, a motivational boost for me uh, to keep doing this every week. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, have a great week. And uh, until next week, do the right thing. Keep the peace.